Because, guys, this is as good as it gets in the scriptures. Because let me tell you what. If we had a God who left us his word and there was no hope for us found in what he had to say, that would stink. (laughs) But we have a God who loves us, who is willing to save us. And this morning, guys, we're going to take a look at the book of Exodus. I want you guys to take a, uh, a look up here. How many of you guys have seen one of these before? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys in the back, okay, how far down can you guys get? Wes is taking off his glasses right now. <laughs> okay. Can you even see the E? <laughs> right? And it's obvious, guys, that the book of Exodus, okay, the big E on the I chart, right? This, this book that we find in the Bible is so important to our faith, okay? And it really does look, as we've been studying through the book of Exodus, and we're going to see it here this morning in chapter uh, 14, we see the greatness of God, don't we? It's really not the people who were there living among the Egyptians, not even the Egyptians themselves, Okay, and and even the children of God there, they were in bondage. They were in slavery. But the neat thing that we find in the book of Exodus is the greatness of God. And he is good. So this morning, guys, as we look, I want us to see the big G. Because God is good, okay? And God is big. Okay, what God is about to do here for his people I don't think they could have ever fathomed such a thing, such a deliverance to have freedom. Because this generation, all they knew was the world and what it meant to be in bondage to it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of what your word teaches us and even the the theology, the, the teachings that come around who you are and what we've seen thus far as we've been studying through the book of Exodus. So once again, Father, we ask that you make us teachable. God, I humbly offer myself, Lord, that you'd speak this morning. God, we want to hear from you. We're grateful for your word, that it is alive and active. We thank you today, Lord, that people are going to come to faith in you and be set free. We know it's for freedom's sake you came. And we're so thankful for that, Jesus. So please, have your way here this morning. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen. But as we study, we learn through the book of Exodus this theology that comes around salvation. Okay, And that's probably the most important doctrine, teaching that we can look into when it comes to who God is, what his word says, and what that means for you and I. Do you guys remember we looked into election? Didn't God choose a people, right? His own chosen people. The Israelites were a people of his choosing. So we got to look at election so far in the scriptures. Then we looked at this substitutionary atonement. A lamb, (laughs) was it not offered in their place? And then we looked at propitiation. And we know what the New Testament says about this big word, propitiation. That is what Jesus did for you and I. But the blood that was shed by these lambs, that, guys, turned aside God's deadly wrath. Do you guys know that God has to judge fairly? 
Otherwise, he would not be a good God or a good judge. He would not be fair. He has to judge. And because we are rebellious, we do sin, we deserve God's wrath. That's fair. But we see this spoken to. And when it comes to salvation, we even see the communion of the the saints. They shared it in the Passover together. That's what we've seen in the last few studies through Exodus. The Passover lamb applying the blood. And then there's sanctification, which is a part of salvation. They swept away the yeast, which what? Represented their old life, sin. And then there's redemption that we saw in our last study in Exodus, where instructions were given for the redemption of sons. So it procured their release by a payment of price. Redemption, guys, helps you, helps me to understand the book of Exodus. And it also helps us to appreciate our own salvation. Some say, why do you guys study the Old Testament? That's back then. We're New Testament saints. Okay? Jesus came. He died on the cross. We're living in this. I don't think we can appreciate this without that. Without what God has done in times past. Ephesians 1.7, it says this, In him we have redemption. It's in Jesus. It's not found anywhere else. It's in him. And it's through his blood, that verse says, the forgiveness of sins. The Lamb of God never came to shed his blood. There is no remission of sins. We are still guilty. There is no forgiveness. There is no sacrifices to take it away. But that's what he did. And this helps us to appreciate what it costs God to procure our salvation. So we are to remember not only that Christ gave us salvation, but the steep price in which he paid for our salvation. And that's what you and I do every time when we come to the Lord's table together. Because aren't we told by him, remember. (laughs) Remember. I'm thankful for the book of Exodus because we get to remember the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Are we looking to him today? Oh, we come often to church for a lot of reasons. But chief among them has to be Jesus. Remembering him, looking to him. And that's what we do, brothers and sisters, as we live our lives, a life of faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every morning we wake up, every evening we go to bed, we remember, wow, what a God, what a Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. And that's what we get to do together this morning as we come to his table and we partake of the bread in the cup. We remember his life and we remember the blood he shed, this new covenant in which we enter into the forgiveness of sins, being redeemed, being called to be part of his family, to be the beloved of God. What a privilege, isn't it, guys? So before we jump into this chapter this morning, I wanted to partake in our common faith together. So let's partake of the bread and the cup together at this time. Behold the Lamb of God. The day John the Baptist proclaimed that to a bunch of Jewish people, where do you think their heads went? Probably right to the book of Exodus. 
Passover lambs. All of them that were killed and their blood applied. And you, <laughs> baptizer, one who is pointing people to the Messiah who is to come, he's to be that lamb. Yeah. He is the lamb. It is Jesus. So let's watch God here in Exodus chapter 14 flex his muscles one more time before Pharaoh. And it's hard to overstate the importance of the Red Sea crossing when it comes to the rest of the Bible, guys. I think this is the climax of the book of Exodus. This is the climax of the entire Old Testament. There is at least two dozen direct references to the Red Sea crossing in the Old Testament, and there's a numerous amounts of illusions given to us as we read and study through the New Testament. Matthew, guys, I want you guys to catch this. This is important. Listen carefully. In Matthew's Gospel, you guys remember Jesus' flight to Egypt, okay? Out of Egypt, I called my son. Why did Matthew pick those words? Referring to Jesus. He's quoting an Old Testament prophet. Someone who prophesied before Jesus ever even came into the world. Chapter 11 of Hosea. And Hosea was referring to Exodus. So in which the son was Israel. So Matthew, what he's doing for us is connecting the two. He wants us as the gospels begin. I want you to make a connection between Jesus (laughs) In the Exodus story. In Luke's version, you guys remember the Gospels talk about the the Mount of Transfiguration? Okay? It's where Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah. Okay? And about his departure is the word that Luke uses. Okay? His death. What? Jesus goes up on the mount. He he meets with Moses and Elijah. And what are they talking about? (laughs) You're going to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You're going to lay down your life upon a cross that the world can be forgiven by the blood that you'll shed because you are the perfect Lamb of God. No spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. Perfect. And the cool thing, guys, that word departure that Luke used in the Greek you guys want to guess what it is? Exodus. That's pretty cool. So an allusion to what Jesus was to accomplish is the ultimate getting out. What Jesus did is the ultimate exodus. So Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 show Jesus as the greater than Moses. You can jot down with me Hebrews chapter 11, verse 29. Listen carefully. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they drowned. The Egyptians, guys, couldn't cross over because they didn't have faith. And here the writer uses the Red Sea crossing as a paradigm to the Christian faith. Do you guys see how interlocked this account in Exodus parallels with us in our faith? 
as New Testament believers. And one more scripture I want to lay out before we jump into chapter 14 of Exodus. Jot down 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. And all of them, they were, they were guided by a cloud and they moved, that moved ahead of them. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And in the cloud and in the sea. And all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. And then a few verses later in verse 6, it tells us these were examples for us. These were to teach us something. Exodus 14 has a purpose. So what can we learn from the Red Sea crossing in our salvation? Well, salvation is about getting out. Getting out of Egypt. Getting out of our old life. Out of sin. Out of the world system. So this morning, guys, we're going to look at what we get out of. How to get out of it. And why we get out of it. So let's take a look at the first 12 verses together here in Exodus 14. You know, I want you guys to see there's this bondage and it has layers, okay? Verse one. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-Harath between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, and their wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told to the king of Egypt that the people had fled and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and he took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hathroth and before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us out to die in the wilderness? Have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. So redemption, it's about being loosed. It's about being released. It's about being set free. 
physically, mentally, objectively, subjectively. So you can take the slave out of slavery, but it's more difficult to take the slavery out of the slave. And we see that in verse 12 here. How often do we, when we come to faith, we are set free in Christ. We are forgiven of all. We are a new creation, born again of the Spirit of God. Behold, all things become new. (laughs) But yet the old life, the things of the past, the world still has a stronghold on us, wants to draw us in. A guy by the name of W.G.T. Shedd, he was an American Presbyterian theologian, he said, sin is a suicidal action of the human will against himself. Tim Keller expounded on this, and he said, every one of our sinful actions has a suicidal power of our faculties that put that action forth. When you sin with the mind, that sin shrivels the rationality. And when you sin with the heart or emotions, that sin shrivels the emotions. And when you sin with the will, that sin destroys, dissolves your willpower and your self-confidence. Sin is the suicidal action of self against itself. Sin destroys freedom because sin is an enslaving power. I don't know if we take sin as serious as we should in the church today. And how do I know that? Because I listen to what's being preached in the church today. I love listening to the word being preached. I love listening to sermons. But as often as the scriptures address sin, it's not spoken about as much in the church. We don't have that privilege here at Freedom because we're opening God's word and just going through it verse by verse. And we're going to see it. It's going to be there. And if God takes the time to speak to us about it and the seriousness of it, I think you and I should really pay attention. You see, when you do sin, it just makes it a little easier to do it again. You guys know what I'm talking about? And then do it again. A little bit of sin, really destroying the ability then to resist sin. In salvation, guys, what we get out of is slavery. You guys understand that? We've been bought for the great price. Jesus is the great liberator. We have been set free. We should live in that freedom, guys. And I believe that's probably been the overarching prayer that I've had as your pastor over the last 15 years is that we would be the freest people on the planet, totally free to do what God has called us to do. Because that freedom does away with goofy self-righteousness. It does away with the ugliness of legalism. It does away with the lies of Satan, the ploys of this world. When we are truly living in the freedom of Christ, man, I'm here. I am free to live a life that honors you, Father, to bring glory to your name, Jesus. And there is nothing better, no higher calling, nothing 
of more worth than living for what we were created to live for. But I want this, and I want that. It's temporal. We're not going to care for all time about those things, guys. For all time, we're going to care about one thing, and that is going to be our God. So let's go on to verse 13 here. We're going to talk about crossing over here with grace. Catch this, verse 13. And this is how we get out. Okay, I want you guys to catch this. This is how we get out of it. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies, his chariots and his horsemen, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. And so it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel Thus, it was a cloud of darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all the night. So lift up your staff, okay? Um, If I was to show a meme here, okay, when 600 chariots come rolling up, and God tells them, hey, (laughs) Hold a stick up in the air, <laughs> right? <laughs> what? Woo! Armies of Egypt, <laughs> really? Um, well, wait, Landon. <laughs> is this where the Bible seems a little silly? Okay. Well, it is silly <laughs> if you think about the stick. It's God, guys. It's the big G. That's not silly. It's not the stick that's doing this. It is God who is doing this. I want to read again verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Look carefully at what it says, guys. Stand firm. Be still. See, okay? Not do, see. He will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. Be silent. And it indicates peace as well, right? Don't you love that? But you don't know what's going on. I got to do something. If I don't do something... This ain't going to work out. 
You guys ever had those times where the Holy Spirit just said stop? And watch. And is it fun to watch God do? Yeah. Salvation is not about what you do, but what God has done for you in Jesus. This is the way of Christianity. And Christianity is different than any other religion. It's about crossing over. Illustration. If we consider all other religions to be likened onto building a bridge over water, okay, what do you do? You sink a pylon. Then you go and you sink another pylon. And then you build in between the two. And you keep building onto it until you reach the other side. Here on the picture, this is the Hong Kong Bridge in Macau. It's one of the seven wonders of the uh, modern world. It was finished back uh, just in 2018. This thing is over 34 miles long, and part of it goes underneath the water. Huge tunnel. Pretty cool, right? But Christianity, guys, it's not like building a bridge or working to do better or to be good, but instead it is the principle of grace. We are saved by grace alone, not of works, lest anybody boast. We can't save ourselves. Many today have a misplaced hope. They're wishing that going to church today on a Sunday morning, that giving money and saying these prayers and doing these good things is going to get them into heaven one day. I haven't read those scriptures. What I have read is the best of us doing the best we can we still fall short. That's why the blood had to be shed. That's why there had to be sacrifices made. And the ultimate sacrifice is Christ himself who died in your place that you could be forgiven. Nothing we can do. Been having a lot of conversations lately when you know Jesus, what you care about is that other people know Jesus. Would you guys agree with me? I mean, that's, everything changes. You even love your enemies. I can't believe them. Did you hear what they said? Do you see what they're doing? When you know Jesus, you want them to know Jesus too. Because you know Jesus can forgive anything you know that there is eternal life. This is what it's about, guys. Everything changes. And in these conversations I'm having lately, I sure hope they know the Lord. I don't really know if they're really saved. They read their Bible. They pray. We really don't know, guys. If someone says, I believe in Jesus, do you really know their heart? Let's be honest. I've seen you guys who profess to know Jesus do some pretty stupid things. You guys who know me well enough know that I do pretty stupid things. 
We're all sinners. Well, if you're professing Christ, why would you ever do that or say that? Where's your faith? Is it about what we do, guys? It's about what Jesus has done. So don't be surprised someday when you get to heaven and you're checking out all those who've been saved by the grace of our God throughout history. You're here! How did you get here? I trusted Jesus. I did nothing. That's awesome. He saved me too. I've been looking around, where's so-and-so? I don't see them here. They were at church every Sunday. They did all that stuff. They fed the poor. They loved me. They were actually the one who told me about Jesus. Where are they? Salvation is a very important thing, guys. Salvation is the most important thing in this life. Every religion in the world, and there's a lot of people upon this planet who are people of faith. Even in this nation, which was grounded upon some really cool Christian Judea principles, in God we trust. We've been blessed. But the reality is, we're among a people who have turned their back on God. Many say they don't even believe in him. And yet today, guys, even in a rebellious people, do you guys know that most people are still people of faith today? That's cool. Most people still believe that there is a God, even though they're being taught in schools today, there is no God. Most people deep down know that, yeah, there is a creator. I believe in God. Great. You have faith. But do you have faith in Jesus? Do you guys get it? Great. A lot of religion, a lot of different beliefs in the world, and every single one of them is you got to do this or you got to do that in order to be right, to be able to have paradise in the afterlife. But God says, there's only one way, and I'm it, period. I alone am Savior. And Jesus spoke plainly, didn't he? There is no other way to the Father except through me, for I'm the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you do not believe that, then you are calling God a liar. And the second you breathe your last and you stand before your maker and you, you're a liar! Not a good place to be in. And the cool thing is, guys, the grace of God has appeared to all men. We're told in the scriptures. Don't put the Holy Spirit in a box. You guys know that he is at work today convicting people of their sin, convincing them of what is true. God's heart is none should perish. And who finds grace according to the scriptures? Who finds grace, guys? The humble. 
So when the Holy Spirit comes knocking, revealing truth, if a person chooses to humble themselves before their maker, do you think God will be faithful to make the gospel of Jesus Christ very clear to that person? I believe so. And I have heard testimony after testimony of people around the world where Christ is not even known. The name of Jesus is foreign. And people are randomly getting saved in these places. How does that happen? That's our God. How many of you guys got saved? Not because the gospel was being preached to you by somebody else. But God was working in your life, working on your heart opening your eyes to truth that you needed him. And you humbled yourself. You began to seek the truth. And in the seeking, God was faithful, maybe to bring a brother or sister in Christ alongside to open up the word of God and speak the gospel truth to you. Our God is good like that. This is so cool, guys. We metaphorically cross over. We move to the other side to salvation. Not building, not working, but instead standing still, watching what God will do. That is our salvation. Look to the cross. Don't you guys love it? We got a big cross outside. I love that. Why? Because we want people, hey, God laid down his life. Someone died upon that cross for you. And there's a reason. There's a reason. So we need to stop trying to do things ourselves. Charles Spurgeon said, marching is always easier than standing still. I like that. Because it's true. (laughs) I'm a doer by nature. I can walk into a situation, look around, and say, hey, this is what needs to be done. <laughs> Let's do it. It's really hard. <laughs> Son, stand still. Watch me do. Okay, Lord. But it's easier to march. Let's go. You guys know what I'm talking about? I agree with Spurgeon on that. It is easier to march. And we see that today. We see so many people who are going to say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this and do th- did that? Look at all that we have done. And Jesus is going to proclaim to all those people who were Christian, depart from me. I never knew you. But I was marching, Lord. I told you to stand still and believe on me. I imagine here, guys, some of the Israelites, they were pretty worried about what was going to happen, okay? Picture it. These walls of water. (laughs) This ocean set before them. You're you're telling us to walk through the ocean. (laughs) We just saw the walls go up of water. (laughs) Does does that mean they're going to stay up? That takes faith, doesn't it? Take faith. God says, hey, stand still. Watch what I'm going to do. All right? (laughs) I see. I literally see (laughs) what you're doing, God. (laughs) Now I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. And I imagine here, guys, 
Is there, you know, some were going to die, okay? Um, and after others, they went through um, here confidently, okay? You, th- you think about it. I, I picture some of them even like slapping, you know, hands of some of these sea turtles, right? Like, hey, this is rad, you know? Um, <clears throat> high fives all over. But anyways, it didn't matter, okay, if they believed they were going to die because that was the mindset, we're going to die. And others were rejoicing. Look what God's doing. This is awesome. Let's go. The promised land is right there. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. That's what God has called us to. Let's follow him. But the cool thing is, guys, it didn't matter if they had faith or didn't have faith here. They didn't have equal faith. They were the children of God but they were all saved. And sometimes don't we again want to say, well, I don't see much faith in their life. They say they believe in Jesus, but I don't see them. Where's the fruit, right? I want to see fruit. That's the cool thing. Some of these children of God, some of these Israelites, we just want to hang in the world. We want to stay in our bondage. God says, no, you're one of mine. (laughs) You're coming. So we're not saved by the quality of our faith, but by the object of our faith. That's the point, guys. If I asked, are you a Christian? And your response is, well, I'm trying. I'm doing my best then you have no understanding of Christianity. None whatsoever. Guys, it's about status. It's about our standing. It's about our position in Christ Jesus. And he who has the Son is set free. You guys understand that? Those who are in Christ are a new creation. They are born again with the Spirit of God. So the Exodus story is our story In salvation, how we get out of slavery is by his grace. Amen? All right, let's be a little more Pentecostal this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is what it's all about, guys. And this is the hope we have. And this is the hope we get to share with the world. So let's wrap this up this morning. Verse 21. We're going to see why we get out. And it's because there is a mediator. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by the strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land and the waters, they were divided. So the children of Israel, they went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on the right and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued and they went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And now it came to pass, in the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them off with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and their chariots 
and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. And then the waters returned and covered the chariots. The horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now Moses is the mediator here for the children of Israel. He's the man in the middle. Not all the Israelites were good. So why did the water come down on all the Egyptians and not on any of the Israelites? It's because Israel had a mediator. They had this mediator. They all deserved to be drowned, right? In verse 10, they complained. We see here in verse 15, Moses gets the guilt put on him. He bears the guilt and he receives the rebuke. But he is so identified with God and the power of God working through him. So he holds his staff up high (laughs) But God is the one who drew the waters back. Guys, do you understand that Jesus is our mediator? Think on this with me for a moment. He's the man in the middle. Just as Moses led his people through the waters of judgment, which became their salvation, we are identified with Jesus through his death and resurrection. Water throughout scripture is a picture of judgment. Okay, think about it. The flood, Noah's Ark, right? So we also were led out of judgment. Baptism, okay, is an ordinance of passing from death into life. First Corinthians 10 tells us all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. Wow. So there's a picture for you and I. We're told in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, for we died spiritually and were buried with Christ by baptism. Our next baptism, by the way, guys, is going to be August 21st. So if you haven't been baptized, sign up sheet. I'm going to put it in the hallway after service, okay? If you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus, you should get baptized. And if you have questions... I know a guy who loves to talk about it. So, uh, Moses, again, guys, we look at him. He was their mediator, but we have a better one, don't we? <sighs> Who's our mediator, guys? All right, we're being Pentecostal this morning. Who's our mediator? Jesus. Amen. So, Jesus took what? Not one rebuke, but the full force of judgment. Think about that. Not just one, but all of our sins. All past, present sins, and even sins yet in the future. He is our mediator, and he was the one who did not just act on the behalf of God. He was God, 
think about how great this is. Was he really a better mediator? <laughs> Absolutely. God himself stepped in to do what we couldn't do. Isn't it cool he ever lives to make intercession for us? He's still mediating on our behalf. So if you've been praying to Mary, knock it off. You guys know this on biblical? One mediator. It's Jesus, God himself. It doesn't get better than that. And he tells us what? Hey, <laughs> come before my throne of grace boldly, we're told in Hebrews 4. Boldly, guys. So thinking on Jesus, guys. Do you guys agree? Much better than Moses? Amen. And he was the one who did it. God himself. I want to consider Jonah with you guys for a second. This is kind of cool to think on. He was on a boat, okay? The storm of God's wrath was coming upon him. And he finally told the sailors the only way for them to be saved was to throw him in. And Jesus boldly said later, a greater than Jonah is here. Have you ever been confounded by that saying of Jesus? Like, what are you trying to get at, Jesus? Why would you say that? Guys, the reason is because for Jesus to boldly come and declare that, he was saying, hey, you, to be saved, throw me in to the ocean of God's wrath. It's going to be me. And not just to save some sailors on one boat, but the sins of the entire world. You see, Jesus is the reason that I can cross over. He is the reason you can cross over. In salvation, guys, we get out of slavery by our mediator. It's by Jesus. In the Exodus story, guys, again, it really is our story. I have to ask, is it yours? Oh, some good gospel preaching this morning, Pastor. Right on. Are you saved? That's what matters. Do you know him? Have you crossed over? Have you put your faith in Christ, the only mediator who's able to forgive your sins? And by the way, guys, we are the children, or where, where do we see the children of Israel going at this point? They're going to Sinai. Think on that for a second. You see, the easiest way to explain the gospel is God didn't give them the law. Then once they obeyed, brought them out. Are you guys hearing me? That's not how it went down. No, he actually brought them out and then gave them the law at Sinai. A lot of people miss that. What does that mean for you and I, guys? I love what Leviticus 11.45 says. I brought you out of Egypt so you could be holy. Wow. You've been saved by the blood of the Lamb so you can be holy as he is holy. Do you guys know that if you are free in Christ, you are free indeed? Think about that. You never have to sin again. We choose to be dumb sometimes, still sin, right? But we're actually set free. We are set free. All things become new. And we're exhorted to walk in the newness of life. To walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. Don't be carnally minded anymore. But be spiritually minded. It's because 
I've been saved by his grace. I now want to obey. Is that the same for you guys? Because you've come to faith in Christ. Because what happens when you're born again? Oh, God loves me and he died for me. He rose from the dead and if I believe on him, I can be saved. And then when you do put your faith in him, you're born again. Is not the Holy Spirit shedding abroad within your heart the love of God? It's the coolest thing. God really loves me. How can I not love him back? How can I not obey him? It's not that I have to do this to be right, to be saved, to get in one day. No, Jesus did what I couldn't do. He saved me. He did it all. He loved me that much. Yeah, I want to obey him. I want to follow him. So the more we understand his grace, the more we're going to understand that your salvation has nothing to do with how you behave. And then more radically, guys, it really will change how you behave. I want to quote an old farmer. His name was Nathaniel Cole. And he heard the evangelist George Whitfield preach. And this was in Middleton, uh, Connecticut, back in 1744. Though uh, he were, you know, practically illiterate, he said this, and I love it. My hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. And by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up. And I saw my righteousness could not save me. Simply put, but so true. You see, when the Egyptian army showed up, God could have made Israel, say, a nation of Samson's. Right, The Holy Spirit could have come upon them in a radical way. They could have whipped the Egyptians, you know, grab a couple donkey jawbones, you Egyptians, right? But why didn't God do that? Well, you guys remember Samson? When God gave Samson power over a thousand Philistines on his own, you guys, what was the song of Samson about? You guys remember what he sung afterwards? With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. You see, there is no hymn to God by Samson after any of his exploits. Note the eye disease. We may not realize what it means for God to be our strength until we're weak enough to see that he is our only option. I want you guys to get this, and then we're going to close with this. God does not want us to be strong as much as he wants to be our strength. Get this. Every mention in Scripture to be strong, 34 times, be strong. It is always in the context of God's strength. Study it out this week. You will be blown away. Be strong, saint, but in his strength. That is the key. So God wants us to be really strong, 
which is different from the way we might think typically with our desire for strength. We want to be strong that it reflects well on us, right? God wants our strength to reflect well on him. And that's why God at times is going to ask us to do things that are beyond us. Because all I can see (laughs) with my natural eyes, I see the biggie. I've crossed over. Cool. That takes faith in a big God. And salvation's a pretty big deal, isn't it, guys? And he may ask us to do things. That's beyond me. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't see it. But you're a big God. And you've asked us to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith is going to honor you and glorify you. Man. Let's keep growing in the faith of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Has Exodus 14 stirred up your faith a little bit this morning? Yeah. It's gospel truth, guys. The gospel is good. It's the power of God on salvation. How can we not share that hope with others? How can we not believe it ourselves? Let's reflect well on the Lord. And I want to close with this thought. The next time that you feel trapped in a weak place, remember that it's probably a place that is designed for you by God. I'm going to have the worship team come up at this time. And I want to read to you guys. This is Exodus 15 up on the screen. We're going to be here next time in our study of Exodus. Verse 2 says to us, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation, and he is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like worshiping the Lord after this. What a God, what a Savior. Amen?